In Louisiana, a man is facing another murder charge after two women are killed at the same location seven months apart. In Missouri, a police officer is accused of sexually abusing eight detainees. And Mike has an update on the new book covering the JFK assassination. These stories and more coming at you today, Thursday, October 5th, on Real Life Real Crime Daily, and I'm Jim Chapman. And I'm Woody Overton. And I'm Mike Agavino. Hello, guys. What's up, what's up? Thirsty Thursday. It is, right? indeed. I need a weekend. I didn't get a weekend last week. All my teams lost. It was just it was, it, all kinds of shitty stuff. Man, I had This too, weekend, I, I need a weekend. I had too much of a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> You had too much, and Mike didn't have enough, and and uh, well, yeah, the way you were, the way you were jumping around after getting that uh, big award. award. Did you hurt yourself? By the way, look like you might have you might have strained your groin. In the years past, I would have had videos, and people have been shooting videos. But I would uh, the LSU game was on, and I was watching it by myself on the iPad. Nobody knew it. I mean, some of the people knew what I was doing, but when I ran out of the building, I scared them. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's a man. this dude's crazy. They gotta, they gotta know how to roll with the woodster. That in a case of beer, I, I, it's not a good mix. <laughs> well, have you guys decided which uh, which day will be the destruction of my forehead next week? I'm thinking we gonna try Thursday. Uh, we have to work that into the into the show. I'm down to destroy Mike's head anytime <laughs> you'd like. <laughs> I know you are. Uh, today, let's see, the 5th, so that's the 12th. 12th, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. The let's do it on the 12th. All right. And that'll be fine. It will be. <laughs> for everybody with Mike. We'll even video it. Yeah, we're going to video the shit out of it. That's for sure. We are. Maybe we can get some local news I'm going to publish some rules. I'm going to work on some rules. That's right. Work I'll have to rules. get some Visqueen or something no, no, before then. No smashing the eggs from a, a distance of less than two inches. So I can't be humming them like a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. Right. All right, let's give us a crime time. We love y'all. All right, in a shocking turn of events, a Louisiana man previously charged with murder in July is now facing additional charges for a second murder that occurred at the same location in December. The Baton Rouge police have unveiled the disturbing connection between these two crimes and shed some light on the tragic sequence of uh, events. Cedric Lang, a 35-year-old resident of Baton Rouge, has found himself at the center of a harrowing criminal investigation. He's been charged with the murder of 26-year-old Christina Hobbs, whose life was tragically cut short on December 26 of 2022 in her home at the Florida Vista Condominiums. The initial investigation into Hobbs' death led authorities to believe it was a suicide, but recent developments have uncovered a more sinister truth. Hobbs was discovered lifeless in her residence, the victim of a gunshot wound, according to the police, and this revelation has sent shockwaves into the community as it indicates that Lang was potentially involved in two separate murders at the same location within the span of just a few months. The first victim, 42-year-old Rachel Johnson, met a tragic end on July 3rd. She was found dead at the same residence, having succumbed to blunt force trauma, as determined by autopsy. The circumstances surrounding Johnson's death were far from ordinary and suggested 
that a brutal and violent crime occurred. Police were initially alerted to a possible overdose on that day, only to be confronted with a gruesome crime scene upon arrival. The woman they encountered bore the telltale signs of a severe beating. Her eyes were swollen shut. Her face and body displayed extensive bruising, and her injuries indicated that she had suffered a savage assault. It appeared as though she had been forcibly slammed into a piece of furniture, causing it to break and then subjected to relentless trauma to her head and face. Residents in the vicinity provided some critical information to law enforcement. They reported that the suspect, Cedric Lang, had sought help from a neighbor, instructing them to call 911 because Rachel Johnson was dead inside the apartment. After making the call, Lang promptly left the scene, leaving behind gruesome uh, crimes. The official cause of Johnson's death was determined to be blunt force trauma, both past and present. Shockingly, a witness came forward recounting the horrific scene in which they had seen Lang brutally assault Johnson with his fist. The witness also claimed to have overheard Lang threatening to kill Johnson when uh, he became enraged. Uh, in a disturbing twist, the Baton Rouge police conducted a comprehensive investigation into his past, and data records from three local jurisdictions revealed a deepingly troubled pattern. Multiple reports from these three separate individuals who have been in a relationship with Lang, and each of these individuals say he physically abused them and expressed their desire to escape these abusive relationships. To compound that grim narrative, two separate protective orders have been filed against Lang, indicating a history of violence. The mounting evidence against Lang sent shockwaves, obviously, through the community and prompted questions about how such a pattern of abuse and brutality could persist. As Cedric Lane faces charges related to both beating the beating death of Rachel Johnson and the murder of Christina Hobbs, uh, the entire Baton Rouge community grapples with the disturbing revelation that the community was home to such heinous acts of violence, and the investigation is continuing. So crazy. Th- th- this is a situation where the, the pattern is yeah. just disturbing with this guy. Three past complaints of abuse and then you find out he murdered not one but two people uh with his fist yeah i'd be surprised if he hadn't had more bodies than that on him yeah yeah but beating them people you're right that's yeah that's very personal even more intimate than stabbing right right so craziness uh this is shitty story it it gives all good cops a black eye but A one-time police officer in St. Louis, Missouri, is being accused of sexually assaulting eight men he detained or arrested over an eight-month period. According to a statement released by the U.S. Attorney's Office, Marcellus Blackwell, previously known as Willis Green Overstreet III, was indicted on 21 federal charges Wednesday, accusing him of sexually assaulting the men between... November of 2022 and June of 2023. The indictments include 16 counts of deprivation of rights under color of law, meaning to willfully deprive a person of a right to self-determination over one's body and five counts of altering records in a federal investigation. 
He's going to prison. Blackwell, 34, was accused in court documents of detaining and kidnapping eight men in separate incidents and turning off his body camera prior to fondling their genitals while they were handcuffed and committing an act of abusive sexual contact. It's just, you don't ever hear about it. I've never heard of um, a male doing it to other um, male detainees. is always females, right? But the indictment also includes an accusation of Blackwell sodomized one detainee by digitally penetrating him in an act of aggravated sexual abuse. None of the victim's names were released. We wouldn't tell you if they were. But the FBI St. Louis Division is investigating the case. Jay Greenberg, special agent in charge of the FBI in St. Louis, said, our focus is on Blackwell's alleged abuse of a power to sexually assault his victims. Our goal is to bring justice to the victims and provide victim services. The press release notes that the motion, which seeks to have Blackwell held in jail until trial, claims he victimized people. He thought he would be less likely to report his behavior. Marcellus was first arrested on June 7th in connection with one of the alleged victims who claimed to officers that Marcellus touched his genitals while at his consent, while his hands were cuffed behind his back, while he was taken into custody on June 3rd. At the time, Marcellus was charged with one count of sodomy or attempted sodomy in connection with the alleged incident. While held on 500000 cash-only bond, he pled not guilty to the state charges and resigned from the North County Police Cooperative. In a statement, Major Ron Martin said the North County Police began an investigation of Marcellus as soon as it received the allegation and said, we will hold all of our police officers and employees accountable for their actions. He noted, these allegations are massively disheartening, but we can reassure the community we expect the members of the law enforcement, this law enforcement agency to conduct their duties with diligence, transparency, professionalism, and within the law. Um, after that, y'all, seven more victims came forward, according to court documents, and the alleged perpetrator's phone also contained videos of several more of the unidentified victims. I, you know, if you're a man like that, I bet you there's more than that. You know, they're embarrassed and they want to come forward. But U.S. Attorney um, Sailor A. Fleming said in the statement, we still have not identified all of the men who appear in the recordings on the defendant's phone, and I'd like to encourage any potential victims to contact the FBI or the U.S. Attorney's Office. The conduct alleged in the indictment is unacceptable for anyone, but infinitely more so for a police officer when it involves handcuffed, helpless victims. Blackwell has not yet entered a plea, and the FBI in St. Louis has established a hotline for potential victims of this idiot to come forward with any information. Yeah. I don't, I don't uh, see a whole lot of people that, coming. Yeah, you're going to come forward and say that. But, yeah, I mean, That's horrible. he probably thought they were um, that sexual mindset or whatever. And I don't know. Maybe it worked for him a couple I of mean, times. I mean, things are shitty. You're in a freaking police car. You, you've got well, your, your handcuffed. Car, you're and you're and dreading what's about to happen. and then dropping your pants and sticking your finger oh up your Oh, my God. And, yeah. Um, he, he, oh, wait. Maybe he's going to get to go to prison, get all of that he wants. So question, the, uh, the body cams that cops wear, does any, is there any sort of master review of how often it was on during the week when it was mm, on any way that they track that? I, all I can tell you about that is cause 
Um, I had the first cameras were in and out installed in cars uh, right far when the detectives and those are mounted in the trunk and only the supervisors had the key. And I guess if you got a complaint, I'm, I'm sure this, they changed this as people have broken the rules and done whatever, but I, I don't know the answer to that, but I would, I would imagine now it's not recorded to their cars. It's probably uploaded to the cloud or something. I don't know how it works to be honest. You know what? I'm going to research that. I should know that. As a, I mean, they definitely can track when they were turned off. Yeah, and yeah, on. They kept, that, I, know I know that, that because I've seen yeah. cases. But um, because if they I, were if they were tracking that data consistently, they and maybe they would see it with with others, and it wouldn't get flagged. But they would consistently see a pattern yeah. of this guy shutting down his his cam. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look into that. Maybe I'll call uh, Sheriff Hardy and. Tell me what they do. Wow, that's uh, interesting. That's a new one there. Okay. Shout out to Astro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. My allergies are throwing my whole morning off. Do I sound different to you? I love that. You sound like, <laughs> it's that time of year, though, bro. I sound different to me. I feel like I'm in a submarine. Yeah, well. Have you tried Astapro? It's faster, bro. Oh. Right? Astapro is the first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Hey, I use this, and you should too, Jim. Last weekend, I planted my garden, and it's that time of the year, and my allergies really kicked up with it, right? I use Astapro every time my nasal allergies flare up, and I'm always amazed at how fast I'm back in the game, down on those roads, playing my stuff. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to AstaproAllergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O Allergy.com. It's faster, bro. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. It's springtime, boys. The grass is green, the birds are chirping, and the kids will be out of school soon. That makes it the perfect time to plan a family vacation. And we know from the stories we cover that this is not exactly the time to take the family to the Caribbean. You don't want to end up in the middle of some cartel drug shootout. So this year, it's time to take an international journey. And of course, a big international trip is just one reason to learn a new language with Rosetta Stone. You might have a different one. Maybe you want to connect with family or friends living overseas. Maybe you want to acquire a new skill for work or better understand a certain culture. Rosetta Stone has helped me have fun with my mother and at least have partial conversations in Italian after only a few lessons. Rosetta Stone is the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users in 25 languages offered. Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and many more. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways. No English translation, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language. Intuitive process, you pick up a language naturally. Designed for long-term retention. Speech recognition. The true accent feature is like having a personal trainer for your accent. Rosetta Stone 
is convenient and an amazing value. That's right, Woody. A lifetime membership has all 25 languages for any and all trips and language needs. That's lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone offers for 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Real Life Real Crime and Daily Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Sayonara. Okay, so I know you guys both know a lot about the JFK assassination, the Warren Commission report, the uh, various theories about what really happened. And so I hope this can be a conversation, not me uh, just uh, recapitulating the story of this guy's book. But I think this is a pretty significant thing that has happened. This book will get released on the 10th of the month. The book that I'm talking about is called The Final Witness. It is written by a guy by the name of Paul Landis, who was a Secret Service agent on the uh, JFK detail. He officially was assigned to Jackie Onassis Kennedy on November 22nd, 1963. This guy has remained silent for 60 years. He says his reasons for remaining silent were uh, one that he thought he would be called to testify by the Warren Commission early on. They never called him to testify. He gave written reports and uh, he thought those would be reviewed and he would be asked questions. It never happened. He let a lot of years go by. He has gotten old and he wanted to get it on the record before he passed away. He has done, which is unusual to do that many in-depth interviews before the release of your book, but he has done, that's what he's done. So he did a a New York times uh, interview that resulted in a lengthy piece. He's done a number of appearances on big talk shows. And there was most recently a big uh, cover spread in Vanity Fair, Jim's favorite magazine that he loves to tease me about. But everyone who has talked to this gentleman has given pretty consistent feedback that he's lucid, uh, appears to be genuine and honest. And I guess the biggest thing is there's no real, uh, there's no real motive, obvious motive uh, that you, what he would achieve, what he would get if, uh, mm. uh, if, and you know, he's 88 other years than old. the book, he's 88 years old. Yeah. So, uh, don't know how much uh, benefit he would get from, uh, a book released at 88 years old. So here's essentially what, uh, what his claims, uh, what his claim is. And, uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about how it impacts, what the Warren Commission's final report uh, concluded and how that plays into a couple of these theories and uh, conspiracies. So he says, and we talked about this last time, that after Kennedy was pulled out of the limo, he noticed a bullet that was laying at the top of the back seat where Kennedy was, that the bullet sat on a spot where I guess the convertible top would normally 
have sat folded, but since they removed the convertible tops that day, it sat right there. There were crowds that were forming around, that were following the limo to uh, Parkland Hospital, and, and so he was afraid that somebody would take a souvenir, and so he took it, knowing he was handling evidence that he probably shouldn't have been handling. He brought the bullet into the hospital, and according to Landis, he put the bullet on Kennedy's stretcher, not Governor John Connolly's stretcher, which the Warren Commission theory of the so-called magic bullet is that bullet, the bullet that Landis claims he put on Kennedy's stretcher in the Warren Commission report. They claim that that bullet was found on Governor Connolly's stretcher, and their final report claimed that the first shot was a miss, didn't hit anything, they just never found the bullet or any fragments of the bullet. The second shot went through the back of uh, Kennedy's back, exited out his, uh, his throat, entered the rib cage of Connolly, traveled into his uh, leg and arm uh, from there, and that the bullet came out and emerged on his stretcher. That was a very difficult theory for a lot of people to believe First and foremost, because of the pristine condition the bullet was in, if it had gone through uh, that much flesh and bone. And secondly, the reaction times between Kennedy's reaction and Connolly's reaction are longer than the reaction time would be had they been hit with the same bullet. There would be uh, a millisecond, you know, milliseconds worth of difference, not uh, almost a full second worth of difference in their reaction. But that difference in their time reaction was a big part of what uh, was driving this theory that those were not separate shots that hit Kennedy in the back and hit uh, Connolly, because if they were separate shots fired by Oswald, they would have needed to be further apart than those reaction times. The uh, the estimates they gave is that it would take 2.3 to 2.5 seconds for Oswald to have fired, reloaded, relined a shot, and fired uh, and fired again. And there was not that much time between Kennedy's first reaction and uh, and Connolly's. There's no disagreement about the third bullet, the kill shot on on, on Kennedy. It really the 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 big difference, the big. Part of this that developed all the conspiracies was this, you know, did a first bullet miss? Was there, was a second bullet a magic bullet? Or was there another shooter since the timing sequences didn't line up? And all of that, that stuff about timing was based upon what's known as the Zapruder film, which is a, uh, a short home movie taken by this guy, Abraham Zapruder, on that day. It's the only actual film of uh, the Kennedy assassination. It has, over the years, been, as technology has allowed uh, things to advance, it's now, you can review it frame by frame, you can review it in more definition than, uh, than you could uh, review it originally. And so uh, a lot of theories have come out of that uh, Zapruder film. Landis doesn't have a doesn't advance a theory, doesn't say anything other than 
I want to clear the record. This is what actually happened, and this is where that bullet came from, and this is where I put it. There are a portion of people who are utilizing this information and the perceived credibility of Landis to, to suggest it makes it all the more viable for a second shooter theory and laid those out. And there's another school of thought that, uh, that it actually clarifies a big point and uh, seen through a different lens solidifies that Oswald was the actual shooter and that uh, there was never a shot that missed the first shot hit Kennedy but it was a misfire, and so it didn't penetrate more than an inch, inch and a half into his back, and that's why his reaction time was strange. He never reached for his throat. I can say, having looked at the film frame by frame many times, uh, he doesn't ever reach for his throat. His elbows are like this. His fists are clenched like this. He never, uh, he never goes uh, for his throat, and the We'll never know about exit wound through the tr- throat because they did a they did a tracheotomy. And so, uh, any thoughts on uh, what I've shared, guys? Whether that impacts the opinions that that you've held about this thing? Is it uh, does it make you more sure of what you think happened here? I still, am opinion is more than one shooter. Uh, uh, yeah, <clears throat> I like to to know. They match the calibers, or if they were able to match the caliber to that bullet back to that Italian rifle, um, I just don't. It, I think it's impossible for one person to get off that many shots accurately at a moving vehicle. And that's my, my opinion. Jamie. Kind of the same thing on my end. I don't really have a disagreement with that. I. You know, one thing I question about this guy, I think it's bullshit that he just, well, I was never questioned. Well, you find a bullet and you stuck it on the other guy's gurney, and then you know good and well people think that that ended up on Governor Connolly's gurney, and you don't come out then and say, oh, I put that there. Well, he did in a report. Oh, he did? So Arlen Specter led the Warren Commission former uh, senator mm-hmm. from Pennsylvania. He chose to disregard a lot of information. So, right, right. No, there's no doubt. But he knew that this was the theory. I mean, everybody in existence knew for 50 years this was a theory, you know, that that uh, this bullet was on Governor Connolly's gurney, and he never said, no, it wasn't. Why did he wait till he was 88? That's my point. Well, I think – we have, to read, he, we have to read the book, but I think his point is he uh, he gave the report that he that he mm-hmm. gave, and that information uh, was there. He thought that he would be deposed by right. the Warren Commission, and he never was. And look, I'm not. I mean, I'm, I'm just I'm curious. Certain that's he, he. It seemed like he was. He could know, have some ulterior motive. Was that, he trying to hide something? What? Well, he technically tampered with evidence. And right. so you could say maybe in the early years he was scared that he'd be that's charged what he'd I, be charged I with something. That's that's possible. Or just he, get fired. Even, he you know uh, you know what he left the service shortly after this, this thing uh you know impacted him impacted him deeply. And so I encourage people to to read the book. I'm, read it. I'm definitely gonna read it. It'd be the only one I haven't read when it comes out. I 
can have another discussion on it. I'll tell you what I think then. I just said, I just, I have actually fired, I have that rifle. And it's it, supposed to be a real just, piece of crap. It, it's a piece of shit. <laughs> probably the worst thing ever made. A man liquor can call? Yeah, is that what it's called? I can't remember. Yeah, that. man liquor. I'll take a picture of it for you. All right, we're going to bring you to Pennsylvania, and a 53-year-old man was arrested this week for attacking a woman so badly he broke her back, then barricaded himself in his house for an hour. Police officers were called regarding a disturbance and tried to communicate with the people involved. A male suspect fired two shots at police. Then went inside. Several other law enforcement agencies, including the Pennsylvania State Police and the SRT team, arrived at the scene to assist. Officials made contact with the man inside, Scott Golschner, and spoke with him via telephone. He eventually came out at 12.53 a.m. and and the police took him into custody. Police found a handgun on the scene, but they did not exchange uh, shots with Golschner and no one was injured. The suspect became angry with a female victim and started hitting her outside his home. He beat her with a bicycle, causing her to fall, then attacked her with a fish tank. Right. Attacked her with a fish tank. Goldschner allegedly punched the woman and bit her finger. Uh, He placed his hands around her neck and squeezed her until she saw stars and believed she was going to pass out this from the victim. The victim uh, sustained head wounds and had marks around her neck. Medics transported her to the Lancaster General Hospital, and doctors determined several bones in her back were broken. A second victim told police she attempted to stop the beating, but then the suspect hit her with a paddle. A six-year-old boy sustained injuries due to being pushed into a door frame. Uh, Golshner was reportedly under the influence of alcohol when this occurred. You think? Right. Uh, yeah, right there. Crazy. You know, this guy was beating him with everything he could find: fish, fish tanks, 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 paddles, how, paddle, how big bicycle. Is fish tank? The smallest fish tank is like a ten-gallon aquarium. That some bitch weighs like twenty-five pounds. And you know, broke her back. Yeah, man, that's crazy. Well, that, uh, that'll do it. It's yeah. horrible. Well, situation there and then shot at police barricaded right, himself right. in his house he's lucky he, he right. didn't get uh he didn't get he suicide by police yeah so back to philly again looks like spending a little time in the slammer has self-proclaimed philadelphia area influencer meatball regretting her decision meatball. to <laughs> regretting her decision to live stream looting and other mayhem that occurred in the city of brotherly love last week we told you all about this mike did the story on it that decision has left her grandmother ashamed of her granddaughter, whose real name is uh, Dodgy Blackwell, but maintains that Meatball has a certain business acumen that can be used for good. Meatball was arrested on Thursday during her live stream of the looting as large groups of mostly teenagers damaged and robbed multiple stores in Philadelphia. The 21-year-old Blackwell was hit with six felony counts as well as two misdemeanors and was seen crying in her mugshot. During the stream, Meatball boasted, tell the police they're either going to lock me up tonight or it's going to get lit. It's going to be a movie. Well, they did lock her up, and it turned into a bit of a nightmare for the budding social media star. Blackwell's mother bailed her out of jail. I wouldn't have done that. And Meatball told NBC10 Philadelphia, 
That experience scared her straight. I just prefer, you know, never loot again, stay out of trouble, never go to jail. She also said on social media she was scared and traumatized, adding, never again in my life. Mm. Remember when you did the story, I said, I wish I would see my kids on there. I'd beat their ass, then I would turn them in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe Meatball's going to start a trend here because it seems like the last few days there are a number of people. One, city's getting actually tougher and arresting people. Number two, some people coming out and expressing some regret for some of what has gone on. So maybe we've seen the worst of this and maybe it'll start to turn. They got to do their jobs. or they're supposed to do their jobs, but I mean, you got you got to stop it at some point. Otherwise, it's going to keep growing. Meatball can kiss my ass. She needs to go to prison. Well, it, Meatball's it, trying. Yeah, well, yeah. you know what she she was on there saying it's going to be lit. It's going to be like a movie. <laughs> no, I saw the video. Right? I know. Yeah, I know. Anyway. Good luck, Meatball. Yeah, we hope you turn your life around. Right, we do. Well. In the fall of 1980, God. I was 10 years old. I stepped foot onto a college campus for the first time. Vanderbilt? Yes. Oh, there you go. And I heard the word or the couple of words, y'all, for the first time. Right. I grew up in Long Island, on Long Island, where... Most people said, use guys. Use guys. Or just guys. Use guys or just guys. And at that moment, I was pretty much sold on the South and sold on Southern accents. Nothing wrong with that. Well, I say nothing wrong with that. You say nothing wrong with that. Jim, you probably agree nothing wrong with that. But a group of scientists in Georgia are telling us that the Southern drawl is going away. Hmm. Southern accents are disappearing, and they are disappearing who, who said, at a rapid pace based on the research. It's a group of researchers from both the University of Georgia and Georgia sure. Tech All right. together. All right. One of my main points about this research is if you did it with a lot of the people coming from the city of Atlanta, right. yeah. uh, you're already tainting your pool right. heavily because that – Atlanta hasn't been a southern city since 1985. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but the, the famous southern drawl is set to become extinct because Gen Xers from the Deep South and Gen Zers are trying to murder it, a new, story, uh, a new study suggests. Scientists from University of Georgia and Georgia Tech conducted the study that shows Xers and Zs uh, display notable changes in how they speak compared to their boomer elders. The researchers studied hours of spoken word from people of different generations and saw that the accent became lighter and lighter as the speakers got younger. They say the explosion in pop culture TV, going back as far as MTV, explosion in social media, and the intrusion of Northerners into uh, universities, into high schools as they migrated uh, south, people from, uh, from the Northeast, moving into some of these southern cities, Atlanta, as we, as we just mentioned, that all of these things have contributed to a watering down of the southern accent. And I know, for instance, at 
uh, Tulane, there are more people today that are going there from California and New York that are attending from Louisiana and Alabama and, and Mississippi. And, uh, uh, you know, I think this is, I think this is something to watch and something to be concerned about. There's the, the draw is part of the culture. There's been somewhat of an attack on Southern culture overall for a variety of reasons over the last decade. And I think this, uh, this research report is something to, uh, uh, to be concerned about. I wish they had studied the South more broadly and not focused on the state of Georgia because I think right. this, is, uh, this is in a hyper mode in the state of Georgia. I personally mm-hmm. have found Louisiana to be significantly different than, yeah, my, yeah, than sure. my experiences in Georgia. But I'd, I'd like to see it uh, done across the South more broadly. And so, you know, coming from a Yankee who married – a woman from the South, actually, I married two women from the South, but one I married very happily. Um, I think Georgia should stick this so-called research up its peach-loving ass. I don't know why Georgia would even get that. Georgia has got you know, Well, you got so of much South. of the population in Atlanta, and you've got yeah. so few of the people in Atlanta who are actually native to Atlanta at this point that that has had – you know, a diminishing impact on uh, on those who, you know, have uh, multi-generational I'm always say y'all, pecan, and crawfish. Yeah. Instead of you guys, uh, uh, you guys. pecans, and crawdads. Pecans. <laughs> yeah, I think women, yeah, I mean, I think I, women I, in I the South should get aggressive about uh, teaching Northerners how to speak. The... Uh, uh, their tone and uh, I, I uh, used to love when I travel around the country, uh, be in New York City or somewhere, and I'd lay on my heaviest Southern accent. All right, and right. they love it. Yeah, oh, they, they. Oh, yeah. The New Yorkers hate yeah. how they sound. Really? They yeah. know uh, they know how ridiculous it is. Yeah. Once they I get mean, out be, of be, New York and it and could see be a little bit. Uh, I could be in Arizona today and and do the same thing. You know, the, 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 there's a definite difference in the accents. So, but I never knocked anybody for it. I mean. It is what it is. You gonna say something, Jim? I, I just don't think that that's. Uh, I mean, that's not a Louisiana thing. I can tell you that everybody around here pretty much talks Southern if they're from here. Um, they have that little twang. I don't see a whole lot of the. I hear oh, it all they, the time. They, 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 the high school dialogues. kids. And, Look, there's uh, Mississippi Delta. They were doing an HBO documentary or something. They had to put subtitles underneath the people's when they're talking, <laughs> and they're speaking the King's English, right? But, but it's with the Mississippi accent. That's all different. Through well, I think it's much more these cities that have become melting pot. Like L.A., no one's from L.A. Yeah, like Orlando, sure nobody's from Orlando. Orlando, Las Vegas, Atlanta. nobody's from Las Vegas. But yeah. this state, while you have a few interlopers like myself, it's not. It's nothing like Atlanta right, right. Or, uh, right. or Los Angeles, and so I think it's it's been better preserved here than probably most other places. Yeah. But uh, but watch out for those schools and universities trying to. Interesting. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over sixteen thousand dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more health issues with the dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's 
health. And this is true for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do this same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. Now, my dog, Phoebe, is the queen of our house, and I can tell you that her health is extremely important to us. She is a part of our family. I watched the video, y'all, and I was amazed by the things I didn't know that could impact your dog's health. This 20-minute video is packed full of tips that I've already started with my dog, Phoebe. I'm noticing more energy, healthier skin and coat. If you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to badlandsfood.com R-L-R-C and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D.com slash R-L-R-C. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right, we're going to take it to Memphis. Speaking of Southern, in Memphis, I, thought, I think Tennessee is one of the ones that... They have their own dialect pretty much. Everybody I've met from Tennessee, got a, Tennessee got a Southern dialect that is... From there, born there, got parents from there, you know. Well, so. they're currently under siege because you've had the mass uh, migration to Tennessee over the last decade, specifically Nashville, where yeah. you don't have as many natives again. Well, this is in Memphis, and a former sheriff's office captain was taken into custody this week for shooting a pest control salesman because she believed him to be a hitman. Detectives were investigating. Yeah, it's horrible. Detectives were investigating the shooting at a residence in Memphis, and the Shelby County Fire Department transported one man to a local hospital in critical condition, and a woman was detained. Monica Johnson and her father were in the living room when she noticed on her security camera an unknown subject with a hoodie was walking to her door. She thought he was carrying an assault rifle. Johnson fired at the unnamed subject, who turned out to be a salesman carrying an iPad. The victim suffered a gunshot wound to the torso, and investigators found the firearm in the attic's crawl space. Detectives arrested Johnson and booked her into the Shelby County Jail for aggravated assault. She posted $4,000 bond the next day. It blew my mind when I saw $4,000 bond. That's it. Uh, She reportedly believed it was a hitman because her son, who was currently incarcerated for child rape, told her a local gang might be after her. Johnson uh, previously served as captain in the Shelby County Sheriff's Office, but was fired after she was charged in 2016 for coercion of witnesses and official misconduct related to her son's criminal case. Crazy. Salesman walking to your door with an iPad. Shot him. Yeah. And, and you know, this, this lady's been expecting... I don't know what uh, that kind of iPad looks like. A this for years. Yeah, yeah, I don't know how. It did. I don't care how bad your cameras are. I don't see how you mistake an assault rifle and, for an iPad. Four thousand dollars. Vice versa. For killing a, for That's killing just crazy. It is crazy. 
Well, y'all, let's go to Phoenix. And this story is it's just another disturbing story. A mother and a son from Phoenix say they are devastated after their escape pet, an emu, that's right, emu, was killed when officers from Mesa Police Department attempted to capture the bird and force it into the back of the patrol car. Now, can you even, I wish somebody had a video of that. The bird known as Richard. There, 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 there is, is one? There is video. Oh, my God. The bird known as Richard was known to occasionally break free of its enclosure, but would always make it back home alive. On this occasion, a neighbor called the local police department to help assist, but things took a tragic turn. And officers attempted to lasso the six-and-a-half-year-old emu, but in doing so appeared to damage the bird's long and fragile neck. Now, I don't know any cops that carry lassos. But anyway, cell phone footage shot (laughs) of the incident show officers standing around the bird, which can be seen lying flat on the ground after apparently choking the bird following the police restraint. Footage of the failed arrest sees the bird struggling against two officers, wildly flapping its wings as it attempts to break free. One officer could be seen with his hands around the bird's neck, while another shot shows a rope around it. At one point, both rear doors of a patrol car, I'm not putting an emu in my car, in my patrol car, but anyway, at one point, both rear doors of the patrol car were open, and officers appeared to drag it by its neck into the vehicle. When that approach failed, the bird suddenly appeared lifeless with its long neck hanging upside down. Police officers could then be seen attempting to revive the bird, and I'm not doing that either, uh, by giving it some water. But it was no use, and the emu remained unresponsive. You can't put a lasso around their neck trying to yank on them and get them to do what you want them to do. You're going to kill them, said the bird's owner, Stephanie Moline, to Box 10, it was so inappropriate. It was completely unnecessary. And she described the unusual pet as awesome. You could hand feed her. I'd go out and pet her and cuddle her. And she added, she was just so much fun. And through tears, I'm really going to miss her. Well, Michael Davis, who captured the tragic chain events on the camera, says he believes the police were heavy-handed in their response. Well, I mean, fuck it. Yes. Right? I don't think it needs to happen that way that it did. They need animal control. He was just very calm, just wandering around, not aggressive at all, not threatening. Everyone that was out here witnessed it said, is it breathing? Are you choking it? The emu was obviously in distress and kicking and screaming as deputies tried to get her in the car. Then it stopped moving. Unfortunately, nobody knew what to do at that point. Davis told the news. Davis says the officers were ill-equipped and untrained. You know what? They're not trained to deal with fucking emus. This chick needs a, a ticket for letting this emu run around. Uh, Davis says officers were ill-equipped and untrained to deal with the situation. And officials with the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office said deputies arrived on the scene following a call for the loose emu. And during the corralling, the bird collapsed and died. Milan does not agree with the police version of events. There was no corralling. I don't think you need a lasso for that. Said Malone, I think that I think that they were thoughtless. My eleven year old's first call response was, Did they call animal control? Did they call wildlife response? And they should have called animal control and they're not trained to deal with an emu and fuck that emu that, uh, is what I would have said. And they got the <laughs> owner to come get it. Wow, emu hater. 
Um, I mean, I, you know, we probably dealt with more animal complaints when I was in, in uniform patrol. I said, you never listened to the story. The lady brought me out about her horse standing in the field and said, my horse has been raped. And she wanted me to collect semen samples out of it. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, fuck That's you. Crazy. I'm like, it, it Okay, so agreed. But can we agree that Maricopa and Pinellas are officially the two most fucked up counties yeah, in the United well, States? Because we get we report them. Uh, we report uh, every week on them. We get the craziest uh, freaking stories out of both out of I, both places. I agree. That's uh, definitely a crazy story. It's a strange pet to have, but you know, I mean, I mean hey, hey, do you tell Miss Jerry this? There's a law in Louisiana. It's not a leash law technically, but there's a law against allowing your do- dog to roam freely without you there. Evidently, the emu was ro- roaming freely, and it bothered someone. I don't even know. I don't even know why they were called. Well, our next story takes me back home. It takes me to Forest Hills, Queens, Queens, in New York, which is the former site of the U.S. Open. For years and years, they played the U.S. Really? Open at the Forest Hills Tennis Center before they moved it to that huge complex they now have for the U.S. Open. So it's a very, very nice area within Queens. If you've never been to the nicer part of Queens, you'll be be shocked when you see see Forest Hills. The story I'm about to share kind of reminds me of the story involving the riverboat in Montgomery, Alabama, mm, when right. the, uh, the bunch of white guys stole the parking spot for the riverboat, and then they all got in a fight on the dock right, and, right. and all that kind of stuff. This is, this is kind of uh, one of those, but it, it's happening on a, a street in Forest Hills. So, and this happened a year ago, but video was just released a couple of days ago. So a newly released video shows a group of partygoers getting sprayed with a water hose by a neighbor while attending a surprise birthday party in Queens. Eve Duraso is 52 years old, is the head of emergency medicine at Lenox Hill Hospital in Manhattan. He said that his heart rate was skyrocketing as he discussed the September 17, 2022 incident, despite the fact that he's used to dealing with emergencies in his profession. Quote, my resting heart rate is only 48. I can tell you right now it's over 100. I'm feeling the anger right now as we speak, Duraso said during a press conference at the Cochran Law Firm in the financial district. That would be the Johnny Cochran Law Firm. Just saying. I'm a trained professional. I deal with emergencies, added Duracell, flanked by his wife, Claude, and some of the other 19 partygoers who have all filed suit against their neighbor, against uh, Duracell's neighbor, Marcus Rosebrock, alleging Rosebrock used water as a calculated tool that harkens back to the Jim Crow South. That was their, their language. Everything we had worked on so hard was in runes, Claude said. She told reporters that the evening in question, our beautiful clothes, our bodies, the place settings, the food, the drinks, the entire backyard were no longer able to be used because everything was wet by my neighbor's hose. The video that was released late Wednesday showed the guests uh, scattering and trying to avoid the water that was coming over the fence into the backyard of the Durasos Forest Hills home, where the couple was throwing a birthday party, a 47th birthday party for Eve's sister, Rose. She also had just gotten engaged, so it was a combination birthday and engagement party. Uh, Eve said that the neighbor, Rosebrock, didn't even ask him to lower the music or, uh, or do anything to communicate with him prior to, quote, opening fire 
with his garden hose. And the 19 revelers, uh, uh, mostly black and Latino with uh, one white guest, uh, uh, were they're getting wet. If someone asked me to turn the music down because their kid couldn't sleep, that would automatically happen. There were absolutely no words prior to hosing us. We had to make a quick calculation of our safety, what to do with our anger. We had the sense to videotape this, he said. The video shows a sprinkling of water coming over the fence and then stronger streams of water continuing to come into the Duraso's yard several more times. And, uh, and one of the guests videotaping everything. A woman not associated with the guy that they're suing, they actually have not identified this woman, came to their front door with her German shepherd and, uh, and threatened them and requested that they lower the music. And apparently they did not accommodate her request, which came at 9.50 p.m. We don't know yet what time the other neighbor started with the hose over the, over the fence. But you can tell from the video, which is heavily edited, that the music was loud that the hose was not me taking a hose, turning it on full speed and shooting it at you. It was like more like a sprinkler with rain coming into, uh, into the backyard. So now this has turned into a feud where we've got the Johnny Cochran law firm making uh, all of these wild accusations that the one minute and 12 second video uh, that I saw, uh, I don't believe uh, backs up at all, and uh, uh, and that neighborhood <laughs> becoming uh, very split between those supporting these uh, these claims by the Durasos and uh, others that uh, that are on the side of the other neighbors. I don't know why they didn't lower the music. I don't know why if Rosebrock it's, it's, didn't uh, uh, make a specific request, why he didn't make that specific request. Real simple. Call 911, use a complaint. Cops would have showed up and made them turn it down if they thought it was too loud. Um, I believe they did, and uh, I think it was the woman that, that made the call, but they showed up quite a bit later. Yeah. So I, I don't know if response well, time no, in Queens no, no, or— No, 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 that's what I'm saying. Before these assholes turn on the hose and, and, and all that, they should have called the cops, and there would never been a hose in the incident. No, I agree with you. What I'm saying yeah, is— yeah. I think they did. I think the woman that oh, had the German shepherd called, called the cops up. and uh, and as is pretty typical there, Stupid. it takes a while for them to show Stupid. up. It's and, ridiculous, and, but and it then, is a... a lawsuit out of water? Fuck. I mean, yeah. it's beyond stupid, but it is uh, getting lots of headlines in the New York area because it's enter- entertaining stupidity. The entertaining stupidity is crazy, too. Yep. And you wouldn't let me do a Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey story. So you're right. <laughs> you're right. I, I will try again. You can now take Mile off that belt high. and move freely around right. the cabin. Mile high crime for Thursday, and a man was arrested at the Palm Beach International Airport after telling another passenger he put a bomb on a plane. Oh, These guys oh, just yeah. can't get it, man. Can't see that shit. No, 62-year-old Kenneth Songus of North Palm Beach was a passenger on an Avilo Airlines flight from New Haven, Connecticut, where he made the threat to another person while disembarking from the plane. 
When the unidentified passenger heard the comment, they informed a gate agent, Deshaun Stevenson, and they called authorities, of Mm. course. Uh, Songus was promptly arrested by the Palm Beach Sheriff's Office, and he is charged with disorderly conduct, threatening to place a disruptive destructive device with intent to do harm. And he was even booked into jail on Thursday evening and released two days later on a total bond of $26,000. So if he's convicted, he can face up to 15 years in prison and obviously thousands of dollars in fines just for being a dumbass. Just for saying I mean, really? What airline did you say he flew? Avilo Airlines. Have you ever heard of Avilo? No. I've seen it. I think it's red. A-V-E-L-O. I have not heard of it. I think maybe Velo does allow you to make bomb threats. Yeah, maybe so. Or they're flying bombs. I mean, Avilo Airlines. Crazy. Well, the you know, the the whole point is you make one statement, and now you're in jail. Yeah. You don't get released for two days. Right. What? Uh, your bond's twenty six grand, and you could face up to fifteen I mean, years in prison that, just for like part of that, which is federal idiosity, man. Yeah. So part of that, which is federal. Yeah, that's your mile high crime for today. Yeah. You can now take off that belt and move freely around the cabin. This is one, this is one here. Crimes for Thursday, and this has me squinching my legs together. <laughs> this is disturbing. So, a 74 year old Florida man, probably from Pinellas County, was arrested on Monday following a botched castration attempt on an individual he met via a dark web phone oh site. God. Gary Van Rysick of Sebring, Florida, was detained by officers from the Highlands County Sheriff's Office on Monday and charged with practicing medicine without a license and resulting in bodily injury. Deputies arrived at the man's residence shortly before midnight Sunday after the 911 hang-up call. The door was answered by Van Rysick, who told them he had castrated a man. The man was found on a bed in the home, bleeding heavily from the groin, right? Close by, listen to this, close by, a pink container contained his testicles. The room had been set up like a surgical center, complete with the medical equipment and painkillers. A camera had also been set up to record procedure, but it was not immediately clear if it was filming. The victim. Uh, Van Rice admitted he met the victim who has not been named on a website on the dark web dedicated to the castration fetish. Who the hell has a castration yeah, they, they fetish, man? Right. What the <laughs> fuck? They got one for everything. They got one for everything. So, um, you can only Van, do it once. You can't have right. a fetish. You can only have it once. Listen to this. So Van Rice told the man that he had previously conducted castration on animals and had removed one of his own testicles back in 2012. Holy smokes, I always talk about slicing your own throat too bad. If you can cut one of your balls out, you're the baddest dude. You're John Wayne, baby. The botch procedure started on uh, Sunday at roughly 10 p.m. However, the home patient started to bleed heavily, resulting in difficulty closing the wound. And Van Rice told police he had attempted the same procedure on the man a week prior, but it was delayed. He claimed to have castrated a man a few years ago in a motel that had similar results, but it was not reported to law enforcement at the time. 
The initial procedure had to be pushed back a week because the man had ejaculated while Van Rysig attempted to sanitize his <laughs> Can't make that up. Scott Dressel, Sheriff's Office PIO officer, the told the media outlet he was unsure if the patient's testicles had been reattached. I don't think you can reattach no, testicles, right? No. Where, uh, But he remains in stable condition, and he said, I don't know if he would even want that, Dressel noted. Van Rysig's bond set at two hundred fifty grand, and... Uh, Hang-up calls are pretty routine and definitely respond to many of them per shift, but most of them don't make the cut when it comes to being memorable. No this pun one will definitely, This one will definitely hang around in the memory for a while, the floor sheriff's office said. Wow. And here's a picture. The you fact that people like before. this actually exist <laughs> so is insane. <laughs> He was trying to I do it the week before. Got, he did it the week before, but he ejaculated when he was sanitizing his penis. But like your cops come Christ in. Christ. Look, if I'd have walked in, we all had to I, I have never thrown up on a crime scene in my life. But if I walked in and seen that dude's nuts in a jar, I probably would have puked. Yeah. Wait, where in Florida was this? Uh, Sebring, Florida. Jeez. That's in Ellis? That's what I was thinking it's got to be. That might that might be pinups. That reminded me of remember when oh, Saturday Night Live shit. used to be funny and they yeah. do the fake commercials yeah. and they had this car that was supposed to ride so smooth that they had the guy performing a circumcision in the uh, backseat yeah, of, of the of the car. Yeah. So hey, Jim, Avilo Airlines is an American ultra low cost carrier headquartered in Houston, Texas. Yeah, I've seen it. It previously operated charter flights as Casino Express Airlines and extra airways before transitioning to scheduled operations and rebranding as a Velo on April 8th, 2021. There you go. There you go. A Velo Airlines. Straight from the thing. They've got like six really old 737s. I don't know. Probably not the people you want to say you're bringing a bomb on board. There you go. Well, that was kinky as shit. Kinky that and, might kinky and scary. That might be the that that might make the all kinky thing. <laughs> I, I thought we had the one last week, but that one that one takes the shit right there, bruh. That's Oof. castration. Right, dumb criminals. Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Did you get that subtle French? flair to that uh, to the music today we we tweaked a it a little Cajun bit yeah it's a little it's a little uh, more straight french or french canadian okay. might be better because our dumb criminal today is a french canadian all right so are the cajuns they came from canada fiona goulet mm-hmm. goulet 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 definitely goulet say it with some yeah. snootiness goulet Goulet. Well, her Goulet's jewelry was missing. Her electronics were gone. And a window was smashed. No wonder why she was hysterical when Officer Sharnajit Maharu of the Calgary police arrived. Minutes later, her French-speaking father called. While talking to him on the phone in French, she explained... Not to worry that it was all a scam in order to collect insurance money. Mm. What she didn't suspect was that Officer Maharu speaks six languages, mm. including French. Right. 
Stung. What happens when you assume? Make an ass out of you and me. And you get some banjos and some fiddles. Do that. Silly Fiona. Glad. Slap you. Taste of leather. <laughs> Did you dog <dug> bait? Never dug this in bait. All it's right. Just, well, that brings us to a, a lovely end to our Thursday episode. Ourrescue.org. Yeah. Uh, yep, yep. Help in yep. human trafficking love worldwide. And, love and appreciate it. All y'all, please continue to like and share and subscribe so you never miss an episode of Real Life, Real Crime Daily. Please send me some protective headgear yes. suggestions or just send me protective headgear. I'm going to right. need it next week. Right. We'll get you a shower cap. <laughs> a shower cap. <laughs> be great. All right. Until next time, I'm your host, Jim Chapman. I'm Woody Overton. And I'm Mike Agavina. For Real Life, Real Crime Daily. Peace. Aglets. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.